0: Hi, listener. Happy New Year. This is Nina just giving you a little content note. We're discussing detective fiction today. In the chapter book, There is Going to Be a Murder. It's not at all graphic, but you know, it's there. Also, the chapter book is set in the late 1800s on a ship between India and England. And so colonial attitudes, particularly of the British, will be on display in this book. and We will discuss them. That's it. We hope you enjoy the show. Hello, and welcome to Even the Trunchbull, our show about children's books and why we still love them as adults. She's Nina. They're Matt.
1: And we think that children's books are for everyone because we've all been kids. Even, Even the, the
0: Trunchbull. Trunchbull. They're all mistakes, children. in nasty
1: things. Glad I never was one. From Roald Dahl's beloved Matilda despite her protestations. Each episode, we review one picture book and one chapter book. We started off with books that we read as kids, but if you've got a book that you'd like us to review, especially if you are currently a kid,
0: please get in touch. You can email us on eventhetrunchbull at gmail.com or catch us on Twitter at trunchbullpod and on Instagram at eventhetrunchbull. So Happy New Year, listener.
1: Happy New Year.
0: Welcome to 2023. Uh, I've got a little bit of news update for you. Last month, we told you that my new podcast, The Pod Goblins Hat, with me and Dave Pickering, is coming out in January. And it has. If you're listening to this, it came out on Tuesday. Woo! Lovely. Uh, Find it wherever you get your podcast, etc, etc.
1: Nice. Uh, Well, I'm going to listen to that on my drive home then.
0: And we're kicking off this sort of dismal, drizzly new year with something really cosy. We are reading detective fiction this yeah. month, right?
1: So we have The Secret Detectives by Ella Risbridger as our chapter book. But we're starting off with our picture book, which is...
0: The Case of the Missing Eyebrow by Chris Lam Sam and Angela Keegan, which is a New Zealand book. I do not think we've done a New Zealand book yet. No, I
1: think possibly not.
0: But it's also, in some ways, very inspired by Sherlock Holmes, and so in some ways, it feels very British as well.
1: Yeah, very old school British characters. Yeah. I think was it not? It was funded partly by Tate Gallery, wasn't it? Was, it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah.
0: Do you want to tell us what happens?
1: Um, So basically, we have a curious case of a picture of an old admiral who is missing an eyebrow.
0: And everyone's really upset about this.
1: Including the picture (laughs) himself. (laughs) He's very upset to be missing his eyebrow. And then our detective gets on the case.
0: Yeah, so he and his good friend Nelson, who is obviously his Watson, have just gone to the portrait gallery, I think, you know, for a nice little... afternoon looking at pictures but they get drawn into the case
1: yeah and everyone's animals um so what's the detective's name again
0: inspector brunswick
1: that's right so inspector brunswick is a cat his sidekick is a dog and they start investigating where this missing eyebrow might be and they're thinking it might have fallen off onto someone's head so everyone's checking their heads it's not there and then it might have (laughs) fallen off onto their shoes and everyone's checking their shoes and it's not there so it must have been stolen (laughs) And it turns out, in the end, they find a big hairy caterpillar And what the caterpillar has done uh, to get himself noticed as an artist. Because uh, his pictures are always so small, no one ever notices them.
0: So like postage stamp size.
1: Yeah, so he has, he's sort of painted he's out painted the eyebrow. He's painted out the
0: eyebrow in the painting and then he's been impersonating the eyebrow.
1: Yeah, so given given the picture lots of different expressions <laughs> by changing his body shape whilst being the eyebrow. So yeah, it becomes a sort of story about subversive performance art, I yeah. suppose. Which yeah. Which is quite nice.
0: I like that there's no real criminalisation of the eyebrow at all. There's no punishment. There's like, oh, we'll set up your own little gallery, and so they put all his little pictures together, and then he takes another turn at being the eyebrow on the admiral's face because you just want to be part of something bigger.
1: That's the bit I loved. Yeah, it's like <laughs> I thought like people weren't noticing my individual pictures, but if I was part of a bigger thing, yeah, then I might be noticed. But, yeah, the movement and the performance element's really nice. So, so it's one of these love picture books where it's just a very silly
0: it is very silly. story
1: on the face of it. But it's there's quite a lot to kind of think about. It sort of makes you think of, like, Banksy with his uh, self-destructing painting installation that he did. Do you remember that one? No. The setup was that the gallery had no idea, which I think is probably very implausible. Yes. But, it's so this painting, the picture that Banksy had done was hung in a frame in a gallery and there was an auction and people were bidding for it. And as soon as the auction was finished and someone had bought it for like half a million quid or whatever it was, <laughs> it immediately set off a shredder in the top of the frame <gasps> and the whole thing oh, shredded see. through. Um, <laughs> and then the whole debate becomes like, is it now worthless? Is it more valuable? Because that was the art. Like it was, a, it was an interesting um, thing.
0: It also made me think of that protest with the Just Stop oil protesters yep. who threw the soup at the Van Gogh painting. I mean, a lot of people really didn't like that.
1: It feels similar, like the debates that kicked off over like the statue getting thrown into the river at bristol i thought the, that was great slave owner. yeah i get the angle people talk about of like you can't just delete history but then it's like particularly with something like that like an event as dramatic as that like that is history that's new history, no, right? like, that's, now that
0: statue is in the river
1: <laughs> it's new history of that statue yeah.
0: you could say the caterpillar has vandalized the painting he has painted over
1: yeah <laughs> <the eyebrow." laughs> that's a pretty permanent change
0: yeah <laughs> But I like that no one seems to mind and everybody seems to feel that the painting has been enhanced by this newly interactive yeah. component.
1: Yeah, as the caterpillar gets a sort of permanent gig off the yeah, back of it, right? Yeah, it's great. As he's just there sort of changing the expression all the time. Yeah. Which you would go and see.
0: Oh, definitely. Yeah. I liked the way it played with the tropes of detective fiction as well. So obviously there's the magnifying glass and that's a very important thing, a very important symbol of detective fiction even though it's actually almost never used in a detective story I like that they actually made use of that so once they've ascertained which I think is important that it hasn't just fallen off they get the magnifying glass and hold it up to the painting and where the eyebrow was are all these tiny little footprints and then they follow the little footprints through like this double page spread all around these art pieces and you can see that whoever the footprints belong to has stopped to look at certain pieces yeah there's a little pause like oh I looked at the vase over (laughs) here (laughs) went over here went over the ceiling
1: and it becomes a little bit sort of going on a bear hunt doesn't it it's up and over and through and round and the other one it made us think of. So I've been working at Woolerton Hall a fair bit and they've got an exhibition at the minute by a Nottingham artist called Dr. Willard Wigan, uh, who does micro arts. It's incredible. This is well worth checking out. So at the minute at woolerton Hall, the main hall is this big full T-Rex skeleton. Willard Wigan's exhibition started as a side piece for that and is becoming its own exhibition. So he does this art where he makes sculptures that he paints that are small enough to sit inside the eye of a needle. For the benefit of listeners, I'm showing Nina a picture of a tiny T-Rex sculpture with an even tinier person standing and pointing at it all inside the eye of an eagle
0: oh my god
1: so it's under a microscope and you look through the microscope and see that <laughs> but it's absolutely incredible and the point of it is like things aren't so small that they're not important ever when he works he gets himself into like a meditative trance state because it's so f- fine that even his heartbeat can throw off
0: you'd have to sit so still for so long yeah and You couldn't get too excited about your own piece of art. Yeah. Because then your heart rate would speed up and like jiggle your hands. Yeah, yeah. It'd be be like one of those magic eye pictures that you can't see it as soon as you get excited about seeing it, you can't see it. Yeah, yeah.
1: It's like a mindful thing, right? You've just got to sit in the zone with it.
0: Should we move on to our chapter book?
1: Absolutely. Yeah.
0: So The Secret Detectives by Al Iris Bridger. Is the story of Isabel Petty, who what year is it set in again?
1: 1892.
0: 1892. So it's very much still the British Empire. And she's grown up in India because her dad is part of like the Raj there. Mm. But everybody's had cholera. So her mum and dad have died, as have, I think, most of the staff who worked in her house because they're very rich. Yeah. So she has to go home to England on a boat
1: well, say go home, she's born in India and yeah. she's never been to England, right? Yeah. Which becomes part of the thing.
0: And this is the same as the beginning of The Secret Garden. So Isabel is entrusted to uh, the white British family who are going anyway so that the children can attend English school. Yeah. And they're really posh and yeah. English and colonial in these ways.
1: The Hartington Davids.
0: The Colonel Hartington Colonel Davids. Colonel Hartington
1: Davids, <laughs> and it's the mum, Colonel's staying at home in India, yeah. right? And it's yeah. the, the mum and, and two kids. Uh...
0: And then they meet another kid on the boat who is also going to England to go to school, that he's been before. Yeah, Samir Khan, whose father, Dr. Khan, is like very important in hygiene and sewers and he's got this big plan to like clean up London and you know, yeah. nobody will ever get sick because of dirty water again and Samir also doesn't have a mum.
1: His mom was English.
0: His mum was a white English woman yeah. and his dad is a brown Indian man. Yeah. So Samir is mixed race. Um but viewed by most passengers as brown. Yeah. Very early on in the book, Isabel slips out of bed at night, goes out on deck and runs into Samir, and they both witness one person push another person overboard. Yeah. And then it turns out Letty, Letitia, has also followed them, and so she's sort of seen a person run past. So they've witnessed a murder, mm. and they're like, oh my God, we have to do something about it. They try and tell the captain the next day, and the problem is that nobody's missing.
1: Mm. Mm.
0: Everybody from the passenger list is here, so they're like, that's a nice game that you've, you're playing, children, but like, no one's missing, so they can't possibly have been a murder. Hmm. So it's this very locked room, Agatha Christie-ish thing where they have as long as the journey takes to work out who did it, who was the victim yeah, and
1: Yeah, they've sort of got until they get to the Suez Canal because then whoever it was could get off
0: at Yeah, that and point. run away. And, yeah, yeah. And they've got no like institutional support from the adults because the adults don't think anything is wrong. Yeah. And so Letty, Petty and Khan, as they call themselves, form yep. a detective agency in one of the lifeboats and investigate the crime yeah I thought this was so great what did you think
1: I'm not like a massive one for murder mysteries oh. so the plot I was less bothered by the plot but the characters are brilliant in this Isabel, the main girl orphan on her way to England and she's sort of fairly clearly written as an autistic character yes and yes I suppose it's a little bit tropey in that you've got the sort of Sherlock Holmes kind yeah. of autistic detective who mm-hmm notices people and is like socially different and a bit of an outsider but it feels really real so there's a lot of her development i suppose is like meeting these other kids and like learning to have friends and learning to kind of invest in people and care about people
0: and she finds that really difficult throughout i thought was really moving but i also think like this plays with a lot of the tropes of detective fiction it plays with like watson and holmes a lot so they they call Isabel Holmes and Sam is what's... you pronounce
1: it Holmes 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 <laughs> Sherlock Holmes said no one ever before now, anyway, yeah. anyway,
0: so they've sort of inverted it, and even like when adults overhear them they think that Sam must be the Holmes figure yeah, because yeah. he's a boy. Yeah.
1: You can say Holmes if you want, I've <laughs> literally never heard of him. made
0: me really <laughs> self-conscious. And he's got this horrible pipe that he sticks in his mouth and, like, sucks air through in a bubbly yeah, way. Yeah, There's a lot of, like, knowingly playing with the tropes. So there's also... Did you spot the little, like, Hercule Poirot character?
1: I mean, I'm, I, again, okay. really not so, big on murder mysteries, but...
0: <laughs> so, uh, Agatha Christie's most famous detective is Hercule Poirot. Yeah, yeah. And he's this little guy with, like...
1: Big moustache. Right?
0: Moustache. And he's famous for always getting seasick.
1: Right, always right.
0: drinking a hot chocolate.
1: Oh, right, so the, Swed- so the Swedish yeah. guy is... so he's not
0: Belgian, he's Swedish in this, but he's a little guy with a moustache and always drinking the hot chocolate and always complaining of his mal-de-mer. Yeah. And it plays with a lot of other things, that, you know, the sort of the locked room idea that, you yeah, know, nobody yeah. could have got in and nobody could have got out. Yeah. And there's this very limited passenger list and it has to be someone... I'm not going to give away the ending because this is a murder mystery. So obviously, I'm not going to tell you who done it. But the fact that everybody ignores the staff is a big plot point in this. Yeah, that's the trope in so Christy The butler, the butler did it, it. Yeah, always yeah, yeah. because you don't look at them properly. Yeah, I've read Elleris Bridger write about this. That like, if you love colonial-era British children's literature, you've got to reckon with the colonialism inherent in that. Yeah, you know, if you love *The Secret Garden*. You've got to reckon with the main character has been looked after by indian people her whole life and can't name a single one
1: yeah 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 it addresses that really well it addresses
0: it? i think it addresses that really well
1: right in the first chapter when letty is still letitia yeah. and there's just this awful girl that yeah. isabel has to avoid and put up with and there's a bit of uh, letty talking about being english because she was born in england so yeah. even though she's grown up in india she's english yeah. but you're not english isabel because you weren't born in england so you must be. Are you a native? Which is said with this really like disparaging tone. Yeah. And then Isabel doesn't want to be a native because she starts to realise that everyone mistreats natives and yeah. then starts to think that's a bit weird. Like I've never thought maybe about the natives why don't do like that. that either. Maybe they don't like being yeah. completely ignored the entire time. Yeah. And then she's like, No, well, I, maybe I'm not anything. I'm just me. And Letty's saying, No, no, you have to be something.
0: <laughs> Letty's very into like, who is what nationality
1: letty knows how to make adults like her and there's a bits where she's talking about how much of an asset being pretty is and how it's very important to be pretty and an awful bit where it's there's one point where like um Isabel starts smiling more and letty's sort of saying see when you smile if you smiled and you wore something that was kind of a dark purple like a grape color that would suit you you might be sort of middling average pretty you're not really <laughs> ugly at all are you and Isabelle's just saying, I don't want to be pretty. It's like, why? It's really useful. People do things for you. Yeah. And Sam's kind of laughing at it going, you're a monster. <laughs> look,
0: you, like, that, that's, It's that's a great amazing. thread through the whole book is how it matters what you look like. I've picked out yeah. a quote to read about this. There are several heists in this book where somebody has to go into somebody's cabin and steal something, and it's always Letty that has to do it, because because the adults like her, and if they catch her there, it won't matter, they'll be like, oh, what a cute little girl. She's not
1: a brown boy, and she's not a neurodivergent, strange girl. Yeah, exactly.
0: So they're all talking about, yep, Letty has to do it, and Sam says, You're the only one that looks good enough, which is awful, really, because you're in it just as much as me and Petty. Still, looks always matter, even though they shouldn't, so we might as well use them where we can. Stupid, really.
1: Mm. it's a bit where like sam has a real go at Letty, like calls her out on i'm trying to remember precisely what she says but she she starts to say and catches herself saying something about vaguely disparaging towards indians yeah and sam's like no no finish your sentence what were you gonna say and he flips out he's like i'm like i'm so so bored of this like it shouldn't matter but it does and he's like look if you're gonna carry on with this just like get out now like
0: Well, so he's at public school in England with a bunch of probably exclusively or mainly very posh white boys. Mm. And he talks about it just after that quote that like, oh, the reason I'm really good at hiding is because the chaps at school are really not very nice to me because of what I look like, you know, and it gets really tiring. Yeah,
1: Yeah, it just shouldn't be an issue. Like, I'm fully aware that it is. It shouldn't.
0: There's a really interesting bit between him and his father. So his father's like this mm, workaholic. Bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um,
1: that bit really got me. Actually. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So but, there's this yes. bit where the kids have been poking around like all journey long and they've been told off and warned off a couple of times for like running around and being disruptive and reading people's letters yeah. and spying on them. And eventually someone has gone to Letty's mum, the Mrs. Colonel hartington Davis, and someone's gone to... Samir's dad, Mr Khan and the first person they get a telling off from is Mr Khan and he's like, my work is very very important you realise that my work is life saving and I really don't like it when somebody interrupts my work because it means I can't do my important work and you Sam, I've brought you up to be like beyond reproach Mm -hmm. because you know that they think less of you because I brought you up in India rather than your mum brought yeah. you up in England. You know why this is important that people think you're a good mm. boy. Yeah. You know yeah. that you have to behave better than everyone else.
1: Yeah, and it's really well written because he sort of doesn't quite see it and he's just like hand on shoulder like looks and you know what I mean, don't yeah. you? And Sam's like, yeah, yeah, I yeah. do, like I get it. And it's that, like, intense pressure of, like, you have to be... The model minority. So, so far yeah. above and, as you say, beyond reproach that...
0: He's like, we've been reading people's letters. And, like, Sam and Letty are like, no, we haven't. And Isabel's like, only one. Only,
1: only the one letter. <laughs> it's just, like, she's so annoyed. That it's yeah. like, people keep talking about letters, plural. Yeah. It was one letter yeah. that we read by accident. <laughs> it's, it's a really interesting character portrait, like
0: i think it's a real like one to add to the canon of like autistic girl protagonists
1: a lot of this like for obvious reasons remind us of journey to the river sea yeah me too it's got like a boat trip and it's same sort of era because i remember when we did that episode we talked a lot about uh, the twins Mm -hmm. and the awful twins and one of them being slightly less awful and i think we were saying in that episode it might be quite nice to see a version of the story of like how that less awful twin turned yeah. out and it feels like that's what this story is it's like because letitia is set up entirely as that like hateful posh little girl yeah. but then it's this it's this lovely lovely character development between the two of them where they bring out the best and the yeah. worst in each yeah, other they and they...
0: Do. i completely understand isabel's possessiveness over sam yeah i really really get it like he's her first friend they've witnessed this like terrible thing together they've got this tie and then letty comes in and yeah. she's like what the pretty girl with like the curly hair and the pink cheeks is in on like my thing with the cool boy yeah i have felt like that about my friends a lot you know i also came to having friends a lot later especially when someone i thought of as more normal more popular more pretty mm-hmm. than me mm-hmm. entered the circle i was like oh, for goodness sake like i just got this one can i not have one yeah. thing to myself and sam's really good at being like I'm not anyone's, I'm a person.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> like, I really like both of you and we're all friends. Yeah. And, like, will you stop trying to claim me?
1: Yeah. And he's got this, um, like, self-sufficiency thing as yeah. well.
0: Oh, yeah, because his dad is so busy. Like, yeah. He, like, there's a good line where it's, like, uh, Mr Khan, who had literally forgotten about his son in a few important ways, came yeah. running out of the cabin.
1: <laughs> Been in his work and in a very real way forgotten he had a son for a little while. So yeah, great set of characters. Yeah. Great set of characters. Who's your favourite? Oh, I've not thought about it.
0: Can't be Isabel because Isabel's me. I, yeah, I mean, <laughs> I, I
1: wasn't, I wasn't going to say it until you did, but quite clearly, is Isabel is is you, right? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> within about sort of within a chapter, I was like, oh, cool, yeah, no, it makes sense that Nina's a fan of this one because yeah. she's in it. <laughs> um, I, I think maybe Sam. Yeah. I think Sam's a really interesting character. His bluntness and his, like, his commitment to a bit. There's a really funny sort of interchange when him and Isabel first meet, you know, Isabel's seen the murder happen and then run into Sam. Yeah. Who takes her to his office, which is an upturned li- lifeboat? On <laughs> he's deck. already
0: set up an office.
1: Yeah, and he's like, My dad takes up all the desk space in our room, and he doesn't understand that I need an office as well for my detecting.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, and he's so excited. It's like, Oh, you wait your whole life for this, for a murder, and then it's such an interesting <laughs> one. And the this, this self-sufficiency thing is so interesting. There's a lovely bit with that as well, where he's um, he's sort of saying, well, you know, my mum died and my dad's fairly absent, so I've had to learn how to do it my own buttons. And he's sort of saying to Isabel, it's like, you could be a lot more independent as well. And Letty's kind of coming in saying, oh, it's really interesting. I've never met anyone who's glad that their mum's dead before. And he's like, glad? What are you talking yeah. about? And she's like, well, you're saying like you're really self-sufficient because your mum's dead. He's like, that was an awful thing. Like, it's okay to kind of, see the goods that has come out of something awful it doesn't mean that i'm glad that she's dead but yeah i'm gonna i'm gonna go with sam
0: well mine's obviously petty <laughs> Yeah, is because she is yeah. me um, yeah. <laughs> i've rarely had like such strong identification with a character in a book especially a kid's book like this mm. representation is still so unusual i've had it as well, with A Kind of Spark by Elle McNichol. But that's much more of like an autism book. It's a book Mm. about the character being autistic, and I'm not saying that to, you know, take anything away from A Kind of Spark. Everybody should read it. But this is incidental rep, which feels different. You know, this is a detective story. It's not an autism story. But, like, Isabel is so like me in a lot of, like, very interesting ways. Like, she's very aware that she's not an appealing child, and that Letty gets stuff from being an appealing child. Mm. And she sort of feels a bit above Letty mm. because mm. of that. There's a lot of like. She almost, does a
1: lot of learning herself. Yeah, and, yeah. There's a lot
0: of internalized misogyny with Letty at the yeah. beginning.
1: And it sort of makes sense. She's been treated massively differently her whole life. So she's got this thing of like, I'm special mm. and I'm different. But
0: I always like that about girly girls as well. Mm. Like, really resented them. And really thought that because they had it so easy in some ways, they just really must not be as complex and deep and intelligent as me.
1: Yeah, I, I definitely did that as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the yeah, yeah. envy yeah. of the popular kids.
0: Isabel does a lot of softening through the book. Like, she comes in with all of this hard shell.
1: Mm, mm. Um,
0: she keeps telling Letitia that she doesn't like her. Yeah. Like, she makes a point of telling her repeatedly, I don't like you. And there's this, it's right at the end where... Um, sam and letty both tell her but you do like us yeah,
1: yeah <laughs> you yeah. do
0: what do we think about Scaryometer?
1: it's quite scary yeah i think this is a really interesting one because obviously part of the setup through it is the adults don't take them seriously like they go to the captain really early on and say someone's been pushed overboard there's been a murder and he's like ah have fun playing kids yeah and they're like cool right we're gonna have to figure this out but there's various points throughout the book where it's written in a way that you're on the adult side, like, you can almost see through... I was reading it feeling like I can see through the gaps, going like, maybe they are just, like, daft kids running around, and, like... And then they get to a point where they're thinking, ah, oh God, maybe we maybe we just made it up, maybe we didn't see any of this. And Isabel's kind of the only one who's like no we saw someone get pushed overboard this is a thing that happened so it kind of lulls it a lot but then really ramps it up where it's like this is really scary they're in a really vulnerable position like there's been a murder on this ship they're the only people taking it seriously
0: and the murderer is still on board clearly
1: there's a real jeopardy like the idea of being lost at sea is just like the worst thing for me so there was there was an added scariness of that of like Oh, it's just horrible. I've had it before. I've d- done like the ferry crossing from, mm. you know, when you get that vertigo thing, like if you yeah. stand on a cliff edge or something, there's that bit of your brain going, where well, you could jump off and just like getting lost in that thinking like, no one would know for ages. Yeah. It's really scary.
0: There is a real murder in this and it happens in like the first couple of chapters.
1: Yeah. So yeah, yeah.
0: you should know that going in yeah. and all of the threat inherent to being on a boat with a murderer. Yeah
1: yeah i mean i think it's dealt with really well like it's c- completely appropriate for the age but yeah like it's particularly towards the end it's like oh this is quite it's quite dangerous actually yeah. and they deal with the danger in different ways and they sort of they all have There's their a moments lot of discussion of, wondering of back fear
0: out, and... among the detectives yeah at different points different ones want to bottle out the only one who never really wants to bottle out is isabel
1: yeah because it's it's so important to her yeah for a couple of really interesting reasons, it's like she's made these friends and that's their thing that they've got. And if she loses that, she loses her friends. But
0: the truth is so important to her as the well. The truth is
1: really important. There's a really lovely bit. Is the thing you were saying about the rules, like I don't understand the rules, why everyone is so insistent on in following the rules. I need to write them down to keep up with it and figure it out. But seeing as everyone is so insistent on in following the rules.
0: We should follow this rule. Absolutely,
1: we cannot let someone get away with pushing someone off a boat. <laughs> yeah like if that's the standards we're going by then let's keep some consistency yeah. with this and it's that really interesting quite clinical angle
0: i also really like this other very christieish thing with is that they sort of play with the idea that maybe the murderer is a madman mm. but but they're not The murderer is a normal person doing something for quite normal reasons. And that's always how it is in Agatha Christie as well. She Mm. hardly ever does like a psychopath who's doing something for no reason. Mm. And that's sort of Christie's calling card almost is that like murder is committed by ordinary people for ordinary reasons all the time. Mm. And there isn't a kind of person who murders Mm. and a kind of person who doesn't. And it gets to the point where... Isabel really understands the murderer she doesn't like them she doesn't approve of them but she really really gets it and that's kind of a bit scary as well Mm. like when you get to a point where an 11 year old is completely able to put herself in the mind of a murderer and go yeah you would do that
1: can see the logic and see the reasoning there's some identification there yeah which
0: is very chilling yeah so I thought that was really,
1: really good. The The landscape is really nice as well. So they talk about the heat of India and the greenness and then seeing the coast of Arabia and it's kind of red and sandy and dry and all of these various different, like, interesting climates. And then it gets to England and it's just, like, these white this cliffs with white a grey sky. <laughs> and it's like, this is the worst place that we've been for this last month. <laughs>
0: We didn't score it on Scariometer, sorry. Oh,
1: okay. Seven, maybe?
0: Yeah, Yeah. I agree. Seven. Who do you think this is for?
1: Lonely kids, kids who feel overlooked. It's an outsider story, isn't it? From all angles, really. The acknowledgement's really interesting. She dedicates it to a friend of hers who she describes as being a friend at a time she needed it when she decided to start having friends again, which is the point where I started going like, oh, you are a bit Isabelle. And also to her goddaughter, who at the time of writing was nine. And she says something along the lines of, it can be really easy to forget what it's like to be a nine-year-old and how important it is to be a nine-year-old. And thankfully, because I know you, you don't give me space to forget that.
0: That's great, um, isn't it? That's lovely.
1: So there's a really nice thing there. So I think the book is quite specifically for Ella Risbridge's goddaughter. Yeah. I think more generally, yeah, left out kids.
0: I'd say age like nine, ten, and up.
1: Yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah.
0: yeah. A lot of children actually read Agatha Christie. Right. Um, because I think the puzzle thing, but also Christie in her language is surprisingly accessible so a lot of people's first grown-up book they read is a Christie. Mm, so i think if you're already a kid who reads Christie, you will lap this up yeah you will love this like all the little tropey bits the little like and
1: it gives it a more updated thing as well where it's more aware of the kind of it sort of as you say really subverts those tropes of like the kind of latent racism that's likely to be in a book that's from a sort of previous time yeah. this kind of switches around and flags up and acknowledges yeah. and does interesting things with
0: if you were a fan of the secret garden and you fancy a prequel this is that
1: it's yeah essentially yeah. yeah um
0: if you like kind of classical kidlit but you see the problems with it and you'd like an updated version this is that
1: yeah yeah um, if you like journey to the river sea yeah it's really if similar you like vibe.
0: eva ibbotson actually it's yeah. very Eberson, it is eva it is, eva is
1: very eva ibbotson yeah
0: if you want to read about little autistic girls, there are not that many books. And for adults, even, who are into detective fiction, I didn't guess this. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's a well-constructed mystery, and it's hard to guess. Yeah. Really plays fair by the rules of, like, detective fiction as well.
1: And it's a lovely read alone as well, because it's so much focused on, like, this is a kid's story. Yeah. It's so anti-adult. I love right? that about it. I yeah.
0: absolutely love that about it. So yeah, that was The Secret Detectives by Ella Risbridger. And that was episode 38 of Even the Trunchbull.
1: 38. Look at that. Thanks for listening.
0: Once again, if you've any thoughts on books you loved as a kid.
1: Or love now as a kid.
0: Let us know or ask a grown-up to let us know. We're at eventhetrunchbull at gmail.com or catch us on Twitter at trunchbullpod or on Instagram, at Even the
1: Intro music for this episode and every episode is What a Wonderful Day by Shane Ivers.
0: And remember, kids' books can be for everyone, because we've all been kids. Even, even the, the Trunchbull. trunchbull.